Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra Podcast, Tuesday, October 19th, year of our Lord, 2021. I like to bring you good news, but I got to be real with you. Bad news all around this morning. What if I told you I just turned on my heat for the first time in the apartment and, and... That's not even the worst of the news. What if I told you I was having to turn on the heat because I don't normally have any AC or heat on and I woke up this morning and it was cold. Yes, you noticed the keyword there, morning, because that's the second piece of bad news, friends. Sure enough, as I tweeted out last night, I'm about to record. Get me the questions. I'm about to record. I waited until the next morning to record. So here we go, the usual morning peanut butter in the back of the throat mode. I don't know how you deal with it. If I were you, I'd take my phone and I'd crow up and chunk it in the nearest river. One of you was kind enough last week to say, you know, I don't really notice a difference in the sound of the voice. I appreciate that, Stephanie. I really appreciate that. Her name was Stephanie, by the way. But I think we can all acknowledge this sounds different. Now, having said that, I'm going to hopefully make the podcast good enough this morning to where it's worthwhile for you. What if I told you, by the way, here's a little tease for you. What if I told you that as ugly as that scene was at Tennessee Saturday night, it almost got a whole lot uglier. Yes, I've saved up a lot of stories. I've saved up a lot of on-field observations from that scene between Ole Miss and Tennessee, and I'm going to share them with you this morning. So what are we doing here? This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. We do this one every Tuesday and Thursday morning. This is different than what we do on YouTube. Same guy, but it's different. It's all mailbag. It's all Q&A. Our numbers, guys, are through the roof. Through the roof. Above and beyond. Wildest expectations. So thank you for that. At Late Kick Josh. If you want to send questions, Instagram, Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. How about that Instagram story Saturday, by the way? I was showing you guys as much as I possibly could. I mean, there was some stuff I couldn't show you, but I was showing you as much behind the scenes as I possibly could and still be responsible. And a lot of you noticed, whoa, this is a little bit more access than I'm used to seeing. Don't quite think I got all that on SEC Network. Well, that's the benefit of following there. Twitter and Instagram, at Josh. That's also, obviously, where you can submit the questions. And I can confirm for you, we do have a loaded, loaded mailbag full of questions this morning. Let's dive right in. Story time coming momentarily. But first, Gamecock said, You aren't unclear at all with your feelings. An undefeated Coastal Carolina will not sniff the playoff. I'm not saying you're wrong, but will you please explain why? Strength of schedule, I suppose, but what about when everyone around them keeps losing? Well, you're right, Gamecock. I mean, that is the beginning and the ending for me. Coastal Carolina is a team to me that entered 2021, and if I were running the committee, which I'm not yet, I fully believe I should be on it, but I'm not yet, but if I were running the playoff committee, I would take a team like Coastal Carolina And because of their schedule, not because of the team, that's always the important distinction, because of their schedule, I would place them over in a do-not-touch category. Meaning no matter what you do, because of the inferiority of the schedule you play, there's nothing you could ever accomplish against this schedule that would prove 
you belong in a playoff. This has always been my pushback against any G5 team making the playoff. Now, this is where the nuance really, really starts to work itself in because this year is the first time I've ever sounded different on this because Cincinnati's the first team that I have ever believed could buck that because Cincinnati is the first team given the current landscape, the 2021 landscape. You can't just judge it against all of history. It has to be judged against that year's set of circumstances. And the bottom line is in this year's set of circumstances with the ACC completely out of the running and the Pac-12 completely out of the running when it comes to providing a playoff team, we're already looking at a situation where we have a maximum of three Power Five conferences that are going to be represented. Now, how many teams from those Power Five conferences? That's the question right now. But I believe with that being the case and with Cincinnati having already beaten a couple of Power Five teams on the road that I both respected the wins over at the time, and you know I freeze value of wins. I don't devalue your win afterwards if a team keeps losing because there's all kinds of flawed logic in that. So they went to Notre Dame. They went to Indiana. They won those. If they win the AAC and they're undefeated in doing so, they will have gone the distance and run the table, gotten the Power 5 wins out of the way, and been blemish-free and won a conference title in a conference whose profile in 2021 has a level of respectability right on par with lower-level Power 5 conferences. You would have, in other words, accomplished everything that I believe is the minimum baseline to warrant consideration for a playoff spot. So Cincinnati would be in. So this is not a blanket G5 thing to me, but it is a minimum baseline standard thing. And the bottom line is, listen to this. I mean, I want you guys to listen to this for a second because I know good and well you don't just have Coastal Carolina's schedule handy. But I'm trying to explain to you here, if the Tampa Bay Bucks were to descend to college football, I would also say the same thing about them if they play this schedule. So it has nothing to do with the team. It's truly about having to face the minimum challenge necessary for me to think you have earned a spot. This is Coastal's schedule. Citadel, Kansas, Buffalo, UMass, Louisiana Monroe, Arkansas State, Appalachian State. They play them tonight as I'm recording. Troy, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Texas State, South Alabama. I don't care if you win every game 150 to nothing. I'm not lying about this. I do not care if you hang triple digits on every team there. You will not have even had the opportunity to prove you belong in a playoff. It's just, it's irrelevant to me at that point what the results are. I would literally value a three or even a four loss team from the Big Ten or the SEC over that. Because even a three or a four loss team in those conferences with four losses on their resume their most impressive win will still be better than your most impressive win. And that's a fact. How crazy is that? That's a fact. You could, you could play Arkansas schedule, and Arkansas could have four losses, and still, even with the four losses, their most impressive win would have come against a team infinitely higher in a power rating scale than the best team on your schedule. So I know what the natural pushback is to that. The natural pushback, if you're driving around Conway, South Carolina today, or if you're driving around anywhere in America and you have a G5 bumper sticker, you say, okay, well, what do you want them to do? I mean, they can only play the games that are on their schedule. You're right. I'm not blaming you. You never heard me blame you. You're not the one who structured this thing to where Coastal Carolina is playing, presumably, the same level of football that Ohio State University is. That's not your fault. That is uh, someone else's fault. That is several someone else's fault. I've made my voice crystal clear on this. You should have two separate bodies 
You should have, I mean, think about it. We already refer to them differently. You refer to them as Power 5, G5. Well, it is my opinion, you should have a postseason structure for Power 5 and a postseason structure for G5. Because I meet you guys halfway. I also think it's ludicrous that you could enter a season and have people like me saying, it doesn't matter if you go undefeated, you're not going to be able to play for the championship. Like, that's so stupid. I understand that. The, the great misconception is I know some of you believe people like me who aren't for G5 teams typically being in the playoff, you think we don't get that principle or that logic. I get it crystal clear. It's insane. It's asinine that going undefeated could still not be good enough, especially when teams with losses on their schedule get in before you. I get all that. The only difference, I think, between the argument I'm making and maybe the argument some of you make is we don't disagree on the problem. We disagree on the solution. The solution is in understanding the obvious. The solution is in acknowledging there's a difference between that local dirt strip two miles down the road from my house and the Daytona 500. Instead of saying, well, racing's racing, you know, whether you want it East Alabama Motor Speedway or you want it Talladega, well, if you're a winner, you're a winner. Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Coastal Carolina or UTSA, they certainly deserve the chance to win a national championship. They also deserve the opportunity to fairly do it. It wouldn't be fair to them or to the University of Alabama to pretend they're playing at the same level of the same sport. They're playing the same sport, just like racing is racing. You win a high school track meet. Usain Bolt sets a world record. Okay, you guys both want to race. That's about what we're talking about here. Maybe a little more extreme example. But I don't really care that Coastal is going to have the same record maybe as the University of Georgia. That does not mean they're equal, nor does it mean they belong on a field to find out whether one is better than the other. No, we know. I can promise you we already know. I don't need to see it. So I know I go a little long on this. It's not that I'm anti-underdog or anti-little guy. I'm pro-logic. Logic would set up an entire separate G5 playoff so that we could watch something that makes sense. Because arguing that Coastal Carolina should be in the same postseason as Georgia does not make sense. Can't believe you guys let me go 10 minutes on that nearly. 10 minutes. We, we're better than this. I'm better than that. You're better than that. All right, so this weekend, I was in Knoxville. 50 million of you, maybe a little bit less, maybe 49 million, but several of you asked about what I saw, what it was like. Did you get hit in the head with a bottle? All sorts of different questions coming in about my experience and the Renaissance Tour rolling into Knoxville. Well, let me first tell you the good parts. The good parts are Tennessee was really good to us, and I met a ton of you. I met a ton of you. The last couple of games, I've been at Alabama and Tennessee, and I've met a ton of you. So those were the good parts. The bad parts are not really bad parts. I mean, it's not like, in the grand scheme of things, I was a correspondent in war-torn Poland. It wasn't really all that bad, guys. I know it was a bad scene. So relative to college football, yeah, it was bad. But can we please be real with each other for a second? Even if you hate Tennessee, even if Tennessee is your biggest rival, or maybe you're an Ole Miss fan and you were there that night and you're rooting against them, can we please be real for a second? Yes. Yes, it was a bad scene. It's inexcusable. The behavior is inexcusable. But did you notice how excited some of these national legacy media types were? I mean, how excited were they to jump up out of their chairs and wag their finger at you and excoriate you, the entirety of the Tennessee fan base? And like two or three dozen of them did it in unison, almost like they had the tweet saved as a draft and they were just waiting for the situation to arise. Like that clown show at the LA Times sports section talking about Atlanta Braves fans. Man, they're so ready to paint with a broad brush when it's convenient for them. They are so ready to paint with that broad brush as long as that target's aimed at some 
somewhere located in the southeastern United States. I just want to tell you guys, I know that our show has grown rapidly because of this, so a lot of you don't need to be told this. That wasn't a Tennessee thing. When I say that wasn't a Tennessee thing, I mean it wasn't unique in the response just because it was Tennessee. They'd do that to any of you out there. There are people who cover this sport that don't really like the sport. There are people who claim to be serving you that really can't stand you. You're just a means to an end for them. A lot of times in the past, you had to stomach it because there were no other options out there. But now there are other options to get your college football fix. You don't need that anymore. They realize you don't need it. You want to know how they realize it? They realize it because of what is called a traffic report. And they get them, or their bosses do. Every Monday or Tuesday, everyone on the editorial side of things, everyone in the management side of things in this industry, they're looking at those traffic numbers. And those legacy types, not all. Please don't think I'm painting with a broad brush here. Not all of them. There's some great ones out there. Uh, the ones I grew up reading, I still love to read. But there are some others, and I'm intentionally not naming names here because I don't want to go down that road, but you know who I'm talking about. Those folks have strained so hard to look down their nose at you their entire careers and honestly viewed the biggest struggle of their week as walking through the masses to get to their press box, not even wanting to have to rub shoulders with you in the process. Those folks see their audience dwindling. It's a fraction of what it once was when they were the only option on the block. They're not the only option on the block anymore. So all I'm telling you is that's what my first observation was in the immediate aftermath. I was watching it happen. I was disgusted with it. I was on the field. I'm about to tell you about it. I was watching it. I knew how ugly a scene it was. I know the standards that we want to hold this sport to and that that didn't meet it. I get all that. But what I don't get is how someone with enough intelligence to lock themselves down a job covering the greatest sport in the world can be ignorant enough to, in their language, categorize an entire fan base as a bunch of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. I can tell you what I saw. I'm not sitting up there in that press box with them. I'm right down on the field. I was standing facing the crowd as that stuff rained down on the field. Let me tell you what it looked like. What it looked like is random bottles would appear from the mass of humanity. You normally don't see who threw them, but you see a bunch of stuff coming out of the crowd and you see nine-tenths of the crowd looking around to try and find out where it's coming from. It's not most doing it. It's not even a quarter doing it. It's a very, very small number. There are, there are several hundred bottles on that field. Okay, we had 102 some odd thousand people in there. And I got a little working theory here that some people threw more than one bottle. Let me just throw that out there. So you did not have a 50-50 split in the crowd. You didn't even have a 20-80 split in the crowd. You had like a 199 split in the crowd of folks throwing versus folks looking around, not participating, and in a lot of cases, outright disgusted with it themselves. Because believe it or not, fan bases have pride about themselves. Fan bases expect their own in-stadium environment and presentation nationally to meet a certain standard. Most Tennessee fans were pissed at it. So yeah, it rubbed me the wrong way. There was a lot of garbage thrown down there it well I didn't really mind that I had to duck from it because I don't view myself as all that important in the grand scheme of things but yeah it rubbed me the wrong way that I had to dodge some things here and there but uh, listen what rubbed me even more the wrong way was watching certain elements of the college football media apparatus shift into overdrive trying to gaslight an entire fan base and paint an entire fan base 
as lesser than because of what a few morons did. You may think I sound like a Tennessee fan right now. No, it's not that. I'm a college football fan. But more along the lines of how you view the sport than how some of my colleagues view the sport because I grew up with you. I did not grow up with them. My background looks a lot more like yours than like theirs. I've told that story many times on this show. But Saturday, it was Tennessee fans. The reason I'm telling you I'm saying this as a college football fan is because next week, it'll be you. And then the week after that, it'll be someone else. The moment a small, small sliver of a fraction of your fan base does something dumb, you better believe that lightsaber will be turned on your fan base. They don't respect you or care to know your side of the story. It's kind of like in the record business. Back in the 70s, there was a very, very famous record executive that was loosely quoted as saying, you know, this would be a great industry if not for the artists. And that's literally the way a lot of record executives feel. Like, we're making so much money over here. Boy, the only real trouble we have is those artists. If we just didn't have to deal with those artists, life would be great. And then you have someone over here who is of the age of five and has developed the cognitive ability to think critically who might tug on record executive's shoulder and say, excuse me, Mr. Record Executive, don't you only exist because of the artists? And the record executive says, get out of here. We ain't running a soup kitchen. Get off my porch. Go away. Same deal. Yeah, Mr. Tenured College Football Media Personality, don't you only exist because of those fans? Crickets, crickets, crickets. So what was it like? What was it like on the field? Well, here's what I have told you so far. I've showed you the video, and you've seen the Lane Kiffin, Odell Beckham catching the Dasani bottle full of questionable substance. You've seen all that, and you saw how the game ended. It was a surreal scene, but let me walk you through what was happening in those final minutes, and there's another part that you don't know yet that I'm about to tell you. What could have happened? I'm going to tell you what could have happened. I had a little inside information based on where I was standing. So prepare yourself. We'll dive in right after this. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So there I am. I'm on the field. It's the fourth quarter. You know how the game's gone up to this point Saturday night. Had a great time. Neyland Stadium, a spectacle unto college football. Just an awesome environment. Awesome scene. Very bad officiating throughout the night. And I want to stress that throughout the night. Not any one call throughout the night. That is the backdrop. You have to understand that's important for the context. The entire mood in that stadium was unique unto that night. Number one, you had the Lane Kiffin effect. And I think it's very underrated nationally how much those people have disdain for him. Because they view him abandoning them as sort of the reason they began this slide into a decade of mediocrity. You combine that with the fact that when he returns, and they're already jacked up, they're already charged, you've got officiating crews continually screwing them throughout the night. That is leading to behavior I'm not excusing. I'm going to say that for the 19th time this week. 
uh, but behavior that's going to end up happening in the fourth quarter. So when that call does not get overturned, the spot of the ball, and it ends up with Ole Miss football, and it looks like they've won the game at that point, and here come the objects. I am telling a security guard and another dude standing next to me as they're reviewing, if they don't overturn this, we're going to have a problem, and you're going to have to turn your back to the field, and we're going to have to face the stands because I've been on the field before when objects started getting thrown. The only way to keep yourself somewhat safe is to turn your face to the crowd so you can see stuff coming at you so you can get out of the way of it. Well, as soon as that call doesn't get overturned, here it comes. And you see firsthand why some stadiums out there do not allow bottle caps to be left on a bottle when you purchase it. They make you give them the bottle top. They will not even, they twist it off for you and hand it to you. Well, the reason they do that is not because they are for you spilling your drink and they want you to be more prone to have to come back and buy more product from them. That's not the reason they take the bottle cap from you guys. They take the bottle cap so that you don't have a projectile. You ever try throwing a bottle with a cap on it versus a bottle without a cap on it? You know how much more dangerous it makes that object in your hand if it's got a cap on it? Well, at Tennessee, I'm not criticizing Neyland Stadium officials, but I'm saying there were a lot of bottles with caps on them, and here they come raining down onto the field. I ducked out of the way of three different things. There was a fourth that I probably didn't need to move from, but at that point I was being a little dramatic. I was like fighter pilot mode, Ooh, evasive maneuver. Well, it was a plastic cup. You would have been okay probably either way. But three different times, full water bottles, and one can came at me, and I had to get out of the way. So then, in a moment that fortunately was not recorded or captured on video, I do the crab walk. I think we all know what the crab walk is. It's when you walk sideways. To keep my eye on the crowd, I walk sideways the entire width of the field to try and turn the corner and then get down the sideline. And so there I am, just side shuffling all the way down the field, and no one's paying attention to me at that point. But I get to where I can start taking some video. And you guys saw on Late Kick Live, I put some video out there, just the scene on the field. But then, so think about this. As you guys know, if you're watching the game, there was a long stoppage in play. If you've ever been in a stadium, you know that it's all about structure. And this is what stood out to me the most that night. It's all about structure. You have, if you're a fan, a ticket, and you have a tunnel you're supposed to go in, a gate you're supposed to go in. You have certain things you can and can't buy, certain things you can and cannot bring in. You have a specific seat that you're supposed to go sit in. Like everything's structured. There are just understood rules. There are things you can do and can't do. It's the same for us. There is a, an entry portal for the media. There's a credential you have to have different credentials designate different areas of the stadium you're allowed to be in. Tennessee gives me an all-access pass, so I can go anywhere I want to. Thank you, Tennessee. Pretty sure I could have called plays in the second half had I only asked for a headset. I think they were required to give me one. But it's all about structure. It's all about structure. When you're on the field, you're, you know there are places you can and cannot stand. Everything's about structure. So the part that was, I think, the most troublesome to me, I'm not going to say I was outright scared, but, but the most unnerving, I guess, is the right word. First and last time I may use that word on the podcast is they lost structure. There was no control of the situation for several minutes. And what I mean by that is I was standing on the midfield logo during the game. I mean, of course, play is stopped, but there is an actual college football game going on, and I'm standing at midfield. No one has said anything to me. I'm just out there. I'm talking to players. I was talking to assistant coaches. I'm standing on the midfield logo. It's the fourth quarter. There's time on the clock. And I'm thinking to myself at that point, is there any control here? The structure has totally broken down. And if you're in a place where there's 100,000 people and the structure has broken down, it can be very scary because I can tell you things can go sideways really, really, really quickly. They didn't, 
But imagine if someone wanted to cause trouble, more so than was already happening. If someone really wanted to cause trouble, there was nothing stopping them at that point. So out of all the things you saw on TV, that was the most surreal part of the experience live was the total breakdown of the normal in-game structure on the field. Okay, so then we move on. They finally get somewhat control of the game back. They don't call it. They continue to play it. I know that was controversial. I, I didn't... I don't know. I was talking to Wilt Fong last night, and he and I were talking about this. He said, I can't believe that they let the game continue. I personally didn't have a strong feel on that one way or the other. I felt in the moment that there was no way they were going to be able to continue it. But then when no one came on the field, that's when I knew they'd probably continue it. Like, I thought we were eventually going to have people storm the field. Honestly, that's what I thought. And I was prepared if it happened. I already had my little escape route. Two things I always do when I walk in the building is I know where the inner lowermost portion of the building is for storm protection purposes. And number two, I know where all the points of exit are. I know that makes it sound like I was formerly of MI6 and I wasn't. It's just kind of, I guess I've seen too many movies maybe. That's the way my mind works. Anyway, so I had a game plan. Your boy was going to be out of there and probably a net result is I would have beaten the traffic home. So anyway, some of those parts you know. So let me tell you what you don't know that almost happened. So when they finally get control of the situation as much as they can, there was never really control. I mean, people were all over the place where they shouldn't be. I was on the Ole Miss bench for two plays. I mean, I was actually over there, like on their sideline, not on the sideline, in their sideline for a couple of plays. And then I eventually went down to the end zone. But if you'll remember, before that point, they tried to flush the student section, which was crazy. I was standing on the field when the order was given. And they said, get him out of here. And they started to try and flush the student section, a line of security and police officers. They tried to push the student section out. And I'm not sure how that operation ended because they got some of the students out of there, but they didn't get all of them out of there. So when play resumed, like one or two plays into the actual game resuming, there was this sudden rush of the entirety of the students that remained down to the bottom. What I thought was they were coming on the field. So I was ready for it. They didn't come on the field, but that's what it felt like at the time. If you've ever seen like three or 4,000 people run at you simultaneously, you don't just assume they're going to stop. Well, they did stop, but they were right there next to the field again on the front row. And so if you think about what was happening on the field, Tennessee's got the ball and they're driving and they actually, in the most surreal moment ever, they have a chance to win the game after an action that the crowd thought had ended the game did not end the game. Tennessee gets the ball back. And so you've got, after all that chaos, Tennessee's got a chance to win the game. Well, here's what was happening on the field. I mean, there was a ton of law enforcement on the field. So what you always want to do in the middle of chaos is you want to get as close to decision makers as you can. And you want to get as close to enforcement as you can. In this case, it was police officers, law enforcement, because you want to be informed and you want to know what orders they're getting. So I did that. And I got close to several police officers and I'm just having them keep me abreast of what they're about to do. Well, here's what you don't know. What you don't know is as Tennessee is driving to try and win the game, and that student section is very militant, and they're down there on the front row, I'm knowing if Tennessee scores here, they're coming on the field. And I can tell you folks, because I was hearing the orders given real time, had that happened, they were going to stand down and allow them to come on the field. And so you think you saw something ugly happen Saturday night because you saw a bunch of garbage rain down on a football surface. No, what I can tell you is had Tennessee won the game, 
those students were coming on the field and they were going to be allowed to come on that field because the risk reward had been measured. And I guess security and law enforcement decided that if we try and resist them coming on the field, we're probably going to end up having multiple really ugly situations and incidents. So we should just get out of the way, let them come on the field. It's only like half of them left anyway, and then we'll just deal with whatever happens. But I want you to think about what that would have entailed. What that would have entailed is Ole Miss has just now shifted to a position where they think they got the game taken from them because the game was stopped and in their mind probably should have been called and they should have won the game. And they're the victims of structure breaking down. Also, Lane Kiffin's on that field. So you've got an entire irate Ole Miss team. You've got Lane Kiffin on the field. You've got then people rushing the field who have hatred in their heart for Lane Kiffin, and that all would have been thrown into one combustible situation. How do you think that would have ended? What would have happened had a couple of students, and this would have absolutely gone down this way, gotten in the face of Ole Miss players? Or what happens if a couple of folks try and go find Lane Kiffin and try and get as close to Lane Kiffin as they can? It would have been really bad. It would, I have no doubt about that. It would have been really, really bad. That almost happened. Had Tennessee won that game, that almost happened. So I know it looks like we had an ugly scene Saturday night. Now, I think you got out on the light end of what could have been infinitely worse. You want to know ugliest scenes of all time in sports? Detroit Pistons, Malice at the Palace. If you're too young, look it up. That is ugly. That's bad. That's generational ugliness. This stuff that happened at Tennessee the other night, I know it's fresh in everyone's mind right now. No one will remember this in a few years. It'll be a game that you look at in the record books and then someone has to remind you, oh, that's the game they threw garbage on the field. No. Had you had actual interaction and confrontation and physical altercations between fans and players and coaches, that's when you would have had a generational black eye on the program and the university and the SEC. So I know it sounds crazy, but given the circumstances and what I experienced and witnessed, I think we got off kind of light Saturday night. All right, let's rattle off a few more here. Uh, Didi asked, have I heard anything on Ajay Hall transferring from Alabama? No, I have not. I know that he has not seen the field as much as anyone who watched the spring game thought that he would see it, including me, this year so far. I know that you know he's probably not totally happy with the situation there. He's not the first true freshman to ever be disgruntled at lack of playing time. Nick Saban's dealt with this very effectively over the years. And the way that you do this is you pull no punches. You use the freshman year and you use the allure of playing time as a natural filtration process. Everyone wants to play on Saturday. Everyone wants to. I can guarantee you everyone who's ever been on scholarship at Alabama wants to play on Saturday. And I can also guarantee you if you have done everything you need to do in practice to make that coaching staff trust you, then you're on the field. What you can't do is you can't get in a kid's ear and rub them on the cheek and say, it'll be okay now. It'll be okay. If they haven't done what it takes, you let them know they haven't done what it takes. And at that point, you find out mentally what you have. You either got someone who's going to maybe get their feelings hurt, but then go to work and rectify the situation and earn their way onto the field, or they're going to quit and leave. Either way, you got the response you wanted. Because if you have someone that's not willing to do the work at your place, it doesn't make them a bad person. But if they're not willing to do the work, then you don't need them there. and They don't need to be there. If they are willing to do the work, then you do need them there. And they do need to be there. And eventually it pays off for all parties involved. And that's kind of what's going on at Alabama right now. It's not unique to Ajay Hall. This has happened a million times before. He's just a million and one. I'm pulling for him, though. I'll tell you that. Uh, let's see. Let's go to this. This is Eric. Will Dabo use the transfer portal? I don't see how Clemson beats Pitt on the road unless Will Shipley is back. You know, Eric, I was thinking about this. I did a roundtable with a lot of our 24-7 folks yesterday, 
and I, it just dawned on me. I kind of made a statement as it was coming out of my mouth. I realized how crazy it was. So think about in the preseason when everyone was doing predictions and think about how the ACC was perceived. And it was Clemson by a mile. And then people were asking, who can make it to the title game that may have a puncher's chance at Clemson? And that was the whole conversation around North Carolina. Can North Carolina just get to the ACC title game? And then it'll be a win. Now, of course, they're not going to be Clemson, but can they just get to the title game? What if I were to have told you, and I want you to really pause and think about this, because this is why I don't really do a whole lot of preseason predictions, because there's just no skill in it whatsoever. What if I were to have told you in August, as you were making all your predictions, I'm not going to tell you anything about North Carolina. You got to guess on them. But I can guarantee you that by, what, October 22nd, so this Saturday, Clemson will already have two losses and they'll be an underdog to Pitt. If I just told you that, what would you think about North Carolina? You would automatically think, well, number one, catastrophe has struck Clemson, which has opened the door for North Carolina, and they have got to be a playoff team now. And they're not. The door has been wide open. And North Carolina has fumbled the ball horribly, as has the rest of the ACC. For a long time, it looked for all the world like once Clemson finally comes back to earth, then it'll open up the door. Nope. Clemson has come back to earth, and still no one has taken it. The ACC is an embarrassment right now. You finally get your shot. And a team like North Carolina, what, you have 21 returning starters, including a, an all-conference caliber quarterback, and just nothing. Not even close uh, that is much to the delight of a Cincinnati fan. I can assure you of that, but it's been a crazy, crazy time to watch the ACC unfold this year. Eric, to answer your question, yes, I think Dabo will use the portal eventually, up to and including maybe this coming summer or winter or whenever you go in the portal. And I also, I don't believe Clemson will beat Pitt Saturday. There's this voice in the back of your mind that looks at that point spread, and you know you want to take Pitt because you think they're better and they're at home, and you know that Pitt's going to be geared up. But there's a voice in the back of your mind, ooh, Clemson as an underdog, right? Clemson as an underdog. I don't care. I don't think this is Clemson. I don't think this is your, your grandpa's Clemson. Or actually, the problem is maybe it is your grandpa's Clemson. It's not your kid sister's Clemson. So I agree with you. I don't know how they get it done Saturday. All right, we got a big Late Kick Live lined up for tonight. Week 8 prediction time. Going to announce the Late Kick Renaissance Tour destination shortly on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. Having a lot of fun with that. That's going a lot better even than I expected it to. But we're going to be able to build a lot off of that. I can't wait to eventually announce that sort of thing. But trust me, I have listened to you. And you guys have asked, hey, what more is there to this? There will be more. There will be more. So just sit tight. For producer Jordan and producer Lance, I don't even know who's getting their hands on this today. I know that my name as of the moment is still Josh Pate. And I thank you so much for making this possible for me and for us and for everyone involved. Have yourselves a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll see you later tonight on Late Kick Live, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 